Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing, truth-proclaiming, and defending uh, friends and family. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I've got to remind you guys, every Wednesday, almost every Wednesday, sometimes we pre-record a podcast with a new guest, and we might air that on a Wednesday. I think the last one was a few weeks ago. We had Heidi St. John. Uh, we recorded that from, uh, she's out in on the West Coast there, and we recorded that and played it on a Wednesday. So it wasn't live, but it was a new podcast. But just so you're aware, we get occasionally emails about this. Almost every Wednesday, we re-air a previous podcast. And I'll tell you what, guys, we often get more feedback on that Wednesday rebroadcast than we do on any typical day of the week. And it's kind of interesting, which tells us that, I mean, a lot of people listen, but they can't possibly listen every day to the podcast. So they miss a lot of them. So those Wednesday rebroadcasts is what we call them, of a great guest that we had on. We're thankful that we can do that. And one of the reasons we do that is four shows, four podcasts a week is challenging with uh, getting the guests, um, prepping um, the research that goes into it and everything else. And it, it, uh, to be honest, some, depending on the uh, subject matter, it takes a lot out of me. Um, and spiritually, man, it's just sometimes it's overwhelming. So I couldn't imagine doing five every week. So at least that gives us a break. But we also have a staff meeting every Wednesday morning where we pray. Uh, we, we talk business. We come together as a staff and kind of, you know, take the morning, uh, to just take care of other things. So it's nice to have a break from the podcast. Just so you know, if you tune in on a Wednesday and go, wait a minute, they're like this last one. They're talking about Easter <laughs> or whatever, uh, in August. So this is a new podcast today. I've got Dave Jenkins on ready to, ready to go from the West Coast also. But I also want to mention we, we just hit a brand new, um, blog on the podcast, your favorite guests on stand up for the truth. We posted that, I think yesterday. May have been the day before, but there's a list in alphabetical order. And in the last two or three years, we've accumulated all the guests. And what we did, we linked every guest to their most recent podcast. So you can go on this lengthy list and look at all the guests that we've had. Some amazing people. It's a little overwhelming just to look at the whole thing. Just me going through. I'm going, man, did we interview that many people? And then you look at the caliber of some of these Christian men and women of God and I learned so much. And one of the things we're going to do today, we're going to learn about the importance of Scripture and God's Word. Uh, you know, we've been talking recently about the attacks on God's Word, and it often starts with the inerrancy of Scripture. Is it God-breathed, inspired? Is it the Word of God, or is it the Word of man? So we're going to talk about that with our guest today, Dave Jenkins, and he's got a brand new book out called The Word Matters. Defending Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age. Dave is the founder and executive director of Servants of Grace Ministries. It's a multimedia ministry that exists to help people know the God of the Bible and equip believers to grow in His grace and serve at the local church and beyond out in the community. He's the host and producer of the Equipping You in Grace podcast and also editor for Theology for Life magazine. And again, his new book is called The Word Matters. That's what we're going to talk about today. Dave Jenkins, brother, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. David, so great to be with you. It is uh, it is awesome to be on this show. Thank you for all that you're doing four days a week. I do it five days a week, so, you know, it is exhausting. Yeah. I know it can be. Uh, well, kudos to you, brother. And so let's, before we dive into the book and the topics, let's get a little uh, update on your ministry. What have you been doing? What are some of the highlights, lowlights, challenges and uh, since we last yeah. talked? Yeah, well, I think since we last talked, I, I'm, I'm still in uh, Southern Oregon, and so that's going well. I've been doing pulpit supply here and there as well or, uh, in the general region of Southern Oregon. And uh, I'm writing a new book uh, on biblical worldview. That'll be the third uh, in this series. 
and that's going well by God's grace. I'm about almost halfway done. And, uh, as I'm releasing this book, I'm, I guess I'm an overachiever, but (laughs) I'm still happily, I'm still happily married to my best friend, my sweetheart, Sarah. And she is such a tremendous blessing. I, I, I could spend the whole hour talking about her, but I, you know, uh, yeah, uh, in love with that lady, you know, she is amazing and such a blessing. She's, you know, the, the, a little bit about, uh, if I can, the story of the book. I, I started writing this book, uh, right out of seminary in 2012. I got rejected by every publisher. Um, <laughs> this book has been my sanctification project. So I've waited 10 years, 10 wow. years, brother. I uh, started really compiling this book, really, uh, started reading and studying. And I didn't even know I was going to write this book in high school, but, you know, I started reading and studying uh, history and philosophy, church history, obviously the Bible. And then um, then I started seeing people, uh, you know, uh, even even back as far as 1998 in high school, I started seeing people deconstructing, coming back from Bible college. They had uh, questions and stuff, and uh, they, they were not able to – they didn't have good help uh, mm-hmm. to, to deal with a con- supposed apparent – you know, uh, paradoxes or contradictions, however you prefer to say that. Some people prefer to say paradoxes. So, but, um, you know, God has been so good in this and I'm just really thankful. And, uh, I see, I see the province of God in, in releasing this book now. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just really thankful that it is out there now. Praise so. God. It's so important. It's, it's a huge topic, Dave. And I mean, I'm looking at, um, let's see this article from uh, last month, I think. Um, there's a poll that came out from Gallup. Belief in the inerrancy of Scripture is rapidly declining. And what Frank Newport said, and he's the Gallup senior scientist, he said, this marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. So the problem is when people stop believing in God and the Bible or start doubting certain doctrines, deception has already taken root and they often end up believing in anything. And so that's one of the issues. It's they don't, they, there's a void there. They just don't stop believing or doubt the Bible. They pick up other things and that can go in all kinds of different directions. But Dave, I want to read the back cover. There's uh, just a brief uh, couple paragraphs. So I want to read just on the back cover of your book, The Word Matters. It says this. Is the Bible true? Does it ever err? And does its morality still matter? Many Christians ask these questions in a sincere effort to grow in their faith. Still others, armed with common claims of biblical contradictions, scientific inaccuracies, and outdated sexual morality, do so out of sheer unbelief, despite these questions being sufficiently answered on numerous occasions, still they persist. And that's what we're going to talk about, the authority of the Bible so, Dave, um, you said you started this 10 years ago, but you said you've been kind of uh, editing and changing certain things throughout the last decade. So describe that process a little bit for us. You know, um, a lot of it, I think, had to do when the first first draft of this book, really, uh, especially chapter five on theological liberalism. Uh, <laughs> well, when I was writing it, you know, Sarah Palin was around and, uh, or, or something like that. And I wrote about Sarah Palin and the intolerance of tolerance. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was true what I was saying, but it was presented in, um, in an inflammatory way. So it lacked grace. It, mm. And, and it really matters that we present, um, the Bible is concerned. Obviously, Ephesians 4.15 is a command to speak the truth in love. And that means that, uh, it's if we're going to have inflammatory, uh, you know, rhetoric in in our content that we put out, whether that's in a podcast or whatever, uh, yeah, we we might be being truthful, but we have to ask: Is it loving? Mm. Um, you know, in John one, Jesus is full of grace and truth, and so as I was working through this book after I finished my first one um, around two thousand seventeen, I realized I need to edit this. And I, I realized that really out of some discipleship with a dear mentor of mine who in October, he went to be with the Lord of uh, last year, he went to be with the Lord. And, um, you know, uh, that, that was really hard. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he helped me through a process of discipleship and, uh, he would say things like, Hey, you know, Dave, you don't have a knowledge problem. You have an application problem. Hmm. And he uh, he helped me to address that in my own life and to realize that, 
how I how I communicate things. Yes, truthful, but is it helpful? Is it mm. edifying? Is it is it full of grace and truth, or is it just like I'm taking the club and smacking somebody over the head and, and I'm enjoying it? You know, um, that's not that's not that's not speaking the truth in mm-hmm. love. And the Bible is concerned with. I mean, you look at all the times like First Peter three fifteen. Um, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope, but to do so with gentleness and respect. We we have to ask ourselves, and I I don't think that we we sometimes miss this, but gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Uh, you look at all these things, even even how we're engaged, all of these things, most of those lists, they all have some sort of fruit of the Spirit in them. And it's really interesting. And what is the Spirit trying to do in our lives, right? He's trying to produce the fruits of the Spirit, you know, as we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we memorize. And so what I'm saying is it's not either or in our, in our witness with our character. It's our character informing our witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you could, we could go on and on about this, but Peter is especially concerned in first Peter three fifteen. If you go back to chapter one, verse, uh, I think it's first 13 through 15, he's concerned. That's the foundation for first Peter three fifteen, even. And it's apologetics. What I'm saying is, yeah. is it's a, it's a way of life. It's mm-hmm. not just giving the, the reason for the hope. It's all of your life giving a reason for the hope that you have because Amen. the spirit is a work in your life. Amen. Well, you mentioned something very important and uh, you alluded to John chapter one, Jesus Christ was the perfect balance of grace and truth. And that's a hard example to follow and to live in, especially when you've got such opposition and division in, in our culture today, but we are still to be uh, full of grace and truth as, as, as best we can, allowing those fruits of the Spirit to uh, live in us and work through us. I want to mention uh, Elisa Childers. We've had her on, uh, an amazing author and podcaster, and uh, she was one who endorsed your book. And she said this, uh, Many Christians are operating under a faulty understanding of what the Bible is and the role it plays in our life. The Word Matters, that's your book, is a robust yet accessible primer for every Christian to deepen their understanding of infallibility and inerrancy and biblical inspiration and authority. It also serves as a crash course in the importance of biblical doctrine as it touches everything from our salvation and sanctification to our relationships with others. This is a great book to hand to a new Christian, but it is also a good reminder to every Christian of the value and beauty of biblical authority. Dave, those are some amazing words from uh, uh, an amazing uh, author and podcaster, and you, you have other uh, also people that have endorsed the book. But uh, kudos, brother. Um, these, these are some uh, tough times, and we need to get this content and this subject matter out there to Christians. Amen, brother. Amen. Um, I'm looking at chapter five, and uh, I was when I was just flipping through the book because I, I, I man, I don't read every book that's sent to me, but but I, I read parts of it. And sometimes I try to do it, um, but I was reading some of yours, and you had me at Jay Gresham Machen, and part of the reason is, and and a lot of people don't know who that is, but in chapter five, um, you explain that it's called "Getting a Grip on the Word of God: Defense Against Theological Liberalism." I refer to them today, the emergent church and those, as the cult of liberalism. And it is a cult, man. It's some dangerous doctrine that has crept into the church, as Jude (laughs) warned. uh, They've crept in unnoticed. Well, now we know they're there. Um, The importance of going back in our history in America, Dave, uh, I I know I'm jumping around with the questions today, but I want to jump to Chapter 5 and say, um, why did you feel what it was important to include this in American history in the church here and, and defend against theological liberalism? Well, brother, okay, well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna go here. Yeah, go. Okay. Go. And 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 you know, one thing that I've been thinking about, and I'll get to the answer here about this, <laughs> is is that you know, you're a typical preacher, right? Oh, we'll get to the point here, but I got I gotta say this. Is is one thing a uh, couple things I've been thinking about is is the biblical versus unbiblical approach to hermeneutics in, in the last, you know, 20 years or so. We, we even see it with the Gettys. They, uh, the, the PCUSA wanted to remove the wrath of God from the, um, 
from the song from the Getty song in what? Christ Alone. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And and so but this is actually a thing in the in the progressive quote unquote, and I'm am using air quotes. You yes. can't see me right now, but I am using air quotes, I or quotation marks, excuse me. But but they do this. They emphasize the love of God over the wrath of God or the holiness of God. And mm-hmm. um, so a faulty hermeneutic of scripture reveals a faulty understanding of of scripture. What we do with the Bible matters because what we think about the scripture really matters. So the only way to know God, right, we would say is through the scripture that because God reveals himself through the word of God. Mm. And so what we do is scripture really matters now. When we come to talk about theological liberalism, what we're really talking about is, or excuse me, what we're talking about when we talk about progressive Christianity, again, quotation marks, what we're really talking about is theological liberalism repackaged. Mm. And when we talk about this, we need to understand a little bit of the history, uh, a little bit of the history. There's a lot, there's a lot of history back in the, in the back end of this. This is why, this is why in the book, I'm trying to not only help you to understand what the scripture has taught, but also what the church has taught, because we have really good answers to this. So, um, in, in, uh, in, uh, the history of biblical interpretation, there's a view, uh, that was presented mostly out of uh, ger- the Germans and those kind of things, the German school of theology. Uh, high, it's called higher or historical literary criticism. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it does is it, it, it's destruct, it's one of the destructive views of theological liberalism. Now, higher, for those of you that might not know what that is, higher, criticism is the careful study of the historical background of each book of the Bible. But where this leads historically is to a denial of biblical miracles and denying Hmm. uh, believing that the New Testament writers are frauds. It leads to the rejection of reason and duty in religion. Now, one of the men that were very instrumental in defending the uh, the Bible uh, is the Princeton theologians uh, they, they stood on the Westminster Confession of Faith. These were men like Francis Turretin, Archibald Alexander, Charles Hodge, A.A. Hodges, B.B. Uh, Warfield. They defended the, the truthfulness of Scripture in their day and, and the trustworthiness, especially B.B. Warfield. I don't think there's been a better book on the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. It's considered like the gold standard hmm. by B.B. B. B. Warfield. Um, it's really good. Um, and, and these men held the line on biblical authority. They, they saw themselves following the scriptures and the historical understanding of the doctrine, um, of scripture as a reliable and trustworthy word of God. But another way, uh, that quote unquote quotation marks, progressive Christianity has infiltrated the church is through rationalism and rationalism came with the enlightenment. This followed in the wake of the reformation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once men were supposedly able to think for themselves, okay. And the <laughs> sciences became dominant. The authority of the, the church and the scripture was challenged. But the thing about rationalists is they rely on their own reason as the ultimate authority. And this takes us back to uh, liberal uh, theology because they say that the Bible may contain the word of God along with many heirs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Notice what I said. They may, they, that's what they believe. The Bible may contain the word of God along with many heirs. And so what this does is they, uh, ideas of revelation or inspiration then are, are rejected by liberal theologians. Mm. In fact, they deny the reality of miracles. They deny the reality of Satan, demons, creation by the word of God, the second coming, hell and heaven wow. are reputed human reason and the spirit the quote-unquote spirit of Christ is maintained, um, are needed to decide which parts of Scripture are true and which parts are false. By the way, stop there for just yeah. a second. <laughs> yeah. notice, notice what I said there. They're deciding which parts of the Scripture wow. are true wow. and which are false. Not, not, you know, the Scripture is instructing us, but... Let me take this, let me take this and bring it a little fast, way fast forward, like by over a hundred and plus years. Now you, now today, in especially like in Southern Oregon where I live in, in Northern California, you have the new apostolic reformation. When we talk about that, we're talking about, you know, churches like Bethel and those kind of things. Yeah. We're going to have to continue on the other side of the break, Dave, but uh, yeah, you brought that up, the NAR. Uh, these are some of the movements that have come from this, but we um, are talking about Dave's book, The Word Matters, Defending Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age. Uh, we'll continue this part of the conversation. We'll also talk about 
how Christians have responded to, quote, progressive Christianity. A whole lot more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Just want to mention Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes to this church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then he goes on in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. And then he repeats it again, just in case they misunderstood anything about what he just said, warning them about adding to, taking away from, or preaching a different gospel. And that's what we're talking about today. Some of these uh, doctrines, especially liberal uh, theology, these, these uh, you know, these progressive movements, it is another gospel. It's a different gospel. It's not the true word of God. It's not based on inerrancy. It's based on man's word, not God's word. So, Dave, you mentioned before we took our break about the NAR, and I would love for you to continue. Um, why are you concerned about them? I and mean, we should be, but for our newer listeners, they might not understand what that is and what they believe that is unbiblical. Please uh, elaborate. Well, um, this is actually somewhat of a controversial statement, although it can be easily proved just by going to the Passion Translation website <laughs> and looking at who endorsed the actual Passion Translation. Now, mm. I have I, I mentioned at the at the before the break that um, that I live in Southern Oregon and Northern California. Uh, the New Apostolic Reformation is totally huge. Well, Brian Simmons. Uh, he doesn't have any sort of Greek or Hebrew training or any of the, like the ESV. They have the guys that, you know, they went to the schools, they had the PhD in Greek or Hebrew, or they have a PhD in systematic theology and so on and so forth. And you want that and you want to have a committee. Well, Brian Simmons is the, is the lead translator of the Passion Translation. Hmm. And he received in his own words, you can actually Google this. I'm not making this up. If you want an actual reference, you can email me, davidservantsofgrace.org, and I will be glad to give it to you. But anyway, he says that he received, in his own words, a commission from the Lord oh boy. to do this translation. He's never led any sort of translation work. He, when he was in, um, when, when he was in Peru, he engaged in, uh, assisting, but not leading a translation. So he not only doesn't have the education, he doesn't have any committee and so on and so forth, but, but he, it, 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 there's so many errors in this translation. And so what we, as I mentioned, uh, before on the, on the last segment is, is what you do with the Bible shows what you believe about the Bible. And, and lots of people get very upset, have gotten upset with me when I did this episode with Doreen Virtue on that, on the Passion Translation. And they said that this isn't at the heart of the New Apostolic Reformation. But it is. You look at, you look at, uh, Bill Johnson and, uh, so many others that have endorsed this translation. It's not even just, friends, this is not even just the new apostolic reformation that I'm concerned about. We have, we have critical race theory. We have yoga. We have the Enneagram. Yep. These are all analytical tools. Okay. But, but they're not the binding and the sufficient word of God. You know, a house has to have a good foundation to weather the storm. Amen. That foundation for the Christian is the word of God. And so this is why I was mentioning the unbiblical views of hermeneutics, which hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. But in order to even get to interpreting the Bible, which I know that you want to go there, we have to have a good understanding of the Bible itself. Otherwise, we're going to get the wrong interpretation mm. every single time. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, and and what, what, we, what we have today is, um, theologians use another two, two fancy expressions, if you will, uh, theology from above and a theology from a, uh, below. And a theology <laughs> from above takes the word of God for what it is, the reliable, trustworthy word of God. A theology from below would place scripture in our feelings at the same level. Now, I want to be clear here just really quick. God is interested in your feelings. Scripture is to interpret your feelings. You look at Psalm 42 through 43, David is downcast, and then you know, he rejoices in the Lord. 
So a theology from above, it holds our faith secured in the objective standard of the authority of God's word. And this helps us to interpret our feelings, to preach the truth about the Lord to our hearts in the midst of what's going on in our lives. So I want to jump ahead. You mentioned, because um, I like to ask follow-up questions based on what, you know, what, how you respond. And whenever I interview someone, I don't want to just go to my scheduled questions or my bullet points that I prepared. Um, you mentioned interpretation and to clarify, um, it, I, have you heard the expression, um, uh, someone saying, well, what does this, the Bible, whatever certain passage, what does that mean to you? It's like, it shouldn't matter what that means to us. It matters what God meant when he said it, right? What does God mean? What is the context? But we're so about our feelings about about self. It's like, well, what does that mean to me? How do I interpret that? And Dave, I'm going to let you respond, but I want to read first Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I'll let you respond to this idea of interpretation. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is uh, a few years ago, the Oxford Dictionary had a, had a word of the year. They have a word every year. And the word was post-truth. Post-truth. Well, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Yeah. So if truth is post, meaning that you can't essentially know it, you know, you've moved past the truth, then, right? The question that we have to ask is then why do, since words have meaning and you have to have truth in order for words to have meaning, right? Okay. Just a fact. And then, and then, why, why then, if, if we've moved past the truth, why do we even have dictionaries? Um, because if you, if to have a dictionary, you have to have, you have to know the meaning of the word. How can you know the meaning of something if you don't have the truth? Hmm. In John 17, Jesus says, your word, my word, your word is truth. Okay. So the word is truth. It's grounded in the objective revelation of God's word. That is why I said earlier, what you do with the scriptures reveals what you believe about the Bible. It's, it's, so you can't, we can't even, you can't, the, the, the notion that you would come and you would interpret the Bible that you don't even believe in, that really is at the heart of so many of these issues. Cause you can't, if a house has a faulty foundation, you know, uh, like when we moved here, for example, there was a house that we actually went and looked at, but then the realtor said, Hey, uh, the reason that this house is $70,000 less <laughs> is because the foundation has to be fixed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then they, they fixed the foundation, put it back on the market and it sold within a day. Okay. <laughs> but, but the, but the thing is, is like, uh, it's a serious issue and mm. we don't, we don't even begin. We, we want to know what. You know, all of these things and all that they mean, but we don't want to even talk about the foundational matter. Mm. And we wonder why we're tossed, as, as Paul says, we're not to be tossed to and fro every which way by every wind of doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. It's in Ephesians 4. Uh, the reason is, is because the foundation is so, it's so bad. It's so, it's so, it's built on sinking, uh, shaky sand. That's why we're being that's why mm. when we come to the Bible to interpret, uh, you know, on, on these things, that's, that's why people are attracted to analytical tools like the Enneagram, critical race theory, and why, you know, people are, uh, attracted to the new apostolic reformation out, outside revelation because it makes them feel good. It, it, and Paul even talked about that in second Timothy three. Uh, tickling their ears. And mm-hmm. so biblical interpretation really matters, but we have to start with the right foundation on what the Bible is and what the Bible aims to do. Otherwise, uh, folks, you're going to get the wrong answer every single time. Um, you have to believe what the Bible is, and that's going to help you to be able to learn how to interpret the Bible rightly mm-hmm. we have to start we have to start at the right place yeah to get to the the to the place where we can even talk about biblical interpretation because so does that make sense yes it yes it does um i, I want to ask you something before we get to our, our next question about 
people, historical people in the Bible that some might believe are, you know, characters, like almost like they're stories and not real. Adam, Noah, Jonah. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Dave, could you briefly explain? I know we could do a whole podcast probably on this, but I know you, you can narrow this down. The difference between uh, scripture being sufficient and scripture being authoritative. What is the difference? So the authority of Scripture means that Scripture essentially is binding, and uh, sufficiency. The sufficiency of Scripture means that it's it's for faith and practice. Meaning that, as I, I like to say, it's Scripture is sufficient for every phase and stage of our lives. Mm-hmm. Everything. So we we've been. I think it's Peter that says we've been given everything we need, all we have for life and for godliness. We've got, and Scripture is sufficient. That is our authority. Um, so now let's go to these important people in history, and we've got to stop uh, um, uh, Sunday schooling um, Bible characters, you know, uh, like Ken Ham often talks about, you know, when the, some churches used to teach about Noah's Ark, it was always this cartoon thing with the big giraffe sticking out, his head out of the boat, and it was, if the boat wasn't big enough to fit all the, you know, sinking, and no, that's not reality. Uh, but these are real people, real men of God through history. So let's start with the dangers of denying Adam as a real person in history. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question and the way it's phrased because, you know, Adam is so important to, to the Bible. If you read the first three chapters of Genesis, um, we learn about the creation of the world. We learn about sin. We learn about how we're made by God in his image and likeness. We learn about marriage. We learn about the fall. I mean, you can't even in such a densely condensed uh, three chapters of, of the <laughs> first three books of the Bible. You have you have the answer, friends, to the problems that ail us in our world: sin, sin. But God made the world. He made us. Uh, he created marriage. This is this is before you know sin entered the world. Genesis three, but. Even in the midst of the garden, this is how merciful and loving our God is. He gave us the first gospel, the proto-evangelium. And what did Christ come to do? He came to pay the penalty in our place and for our sin and to be buried and to rise again and to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Uh, He is soon returning. Praise God Mm, for that. Amen. And so a, a literal Genesis, if we deny, now I'll answer the question, if we deny, <laughs> if we deny that, okay, um, you know, Jesus, Paul, all the apostles, Paul, Paul frames his argument, um, as Adam as a real person in Romans 5, 12 through 21, uh, Ephesians 5, you, you do away with marriage, you do away with the church, uh, you do away, then you do damage to, our understanding of, of creation, sin, church leadership, every single topic that you could think of. If you deny Adam as a real person in real history, you have real problems because you, you basically, what you do is you undercut what we call biblical theology, the whole entire story of the Bible. And, and if you do that, we, we have to ask the question, um, how can you have a real savior then, uh, as answers in Genesis would say, how can you have a real savior who really paid the penalty uh, for us? And the answer is you really can't. Um, and that this is the consequence has, has dramatic consequences mm-hmm. because as we were talking, as we were talking earlier, uh, uh, the house, I'll go back to the house analogy. If you have cracks in your foundation, your house is going to have issues, right? You're going to have leaks and all sorts of things. But with this, the, the, forget even having a foundation. You have zero foundation because, as I said, Genesis 1 through 3 are foundational to, mm-hmm. to the whole storyline of the Bible. You, you can't even begin to have a right understanding of Scripture if you deny or come and think that uh, that uh, Genesis 1 through 3 is poetry or myth or fairy tales or on and on in any way. And you presuppose that it, it doesn't mean what it says and that Moses doesn't have a meaning or or that it's just pagan uh, Moses is somehow reinterpreting paganism and then writing about it in a, in a Christian way or a biblical way. And then it's somehow, and, and then, and then you, then you just denied friends, what you just, what, what people who do that do, they just denied the Bible. And that's, that's where, that's where we go with, this is what the sufficiency of scripture does for us. It, it protects us 
it can say people say, oh, I believe this is for my faith, my f- faith, air quotes. Mm-hmm. But what about what about your practice? How is it being worked out in practice? And that's that's really the issue that we have today. You mentioned those those uh, polls earlier and those kind of things. You have people who profess and we don't want to question. We don't question legitimacy of their, uh, you know, that they, they genuinely believe. But we can ask the question, how are you possessing? How are you practicing? How is the things work being worked out? And the answer to that is, is the statistics tell us overwhelmingly, you know, on biblical worldview, on the Gallup poll, on so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. They, they tell us very clearly that it's the practice where we're not doing well. And the Bible is concerned with us having the right convictions and those convictions shaping us and, and informing our practice, as we were talking about earlier. Yes, amen, brother. Yeah, if we don't believe the, 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 the truth of Scripture, how are we going to be able to live it out accurately and as ambassadors of Christ? I want to mention one thing before we go to break. Um, even Jesus, if you've got a problem with some of these men of God, some might call characters in the Bible, I like to call them men of history, Adam, Noah, Jonah, you know, people think, oh, come on, how could a, a man be swallowed by a big fish, right? Well, Jonah was a real historical character. He preached to the men, the people of Nineveh. And Jesus, you've got a problem with Jesus if you've got a problem with Jonah. Because in uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he mentions Jonah two more times in the next verse. So Jesus just authenticated the Old Testament and the person and the history and the story of Jonah and the Ninevites. So we've got to be very careful about minimizing uh, prophets or Old Testament books, stories, or historical accounts. Because as you said, Dave, the whole Bible is inspired, authoritative, and sufficient. We're talking with Dave Jenkins. The book is called The Word Matters. When we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about something important that, that all of us have heard about, and that is this abandonment of biblical sexuality and God being creator of male and female, God being the ordainer of marriage and family. We'll talk about that. And I'm going to ask Dave about how the church should respond to these challenges to biblical morality and biblical sexuality. Again, the book is called The Word Matters. Dave Jenkins is with us. And we've got a whole lot more coming up in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Remember to check your favorite guests on Stand Up For The Truth by going to a post, a new post on our website this week called Your Favorite Guests. And it's got links and it's got the list. They're in alphabetical order. And you're going to be amazed at how many people we've had the privilege and blessing of uh, interviewing and and just getting some such good information and and perspective throughout uh, these years. So check those out at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Your favorite guests got a picture of uh, the world with the shining cross on it, with the shadow of the cross on the world. So check that out. Now, Dave Jenkins is our guest today. The Word Matters. That's the book. Let's jump to Chapter 9, Dave, because this is something that almost everybody who is listening has dealt with to some degree uh, in our culture and the attacks against biblical sexuality, uh, biblical marriage, um, the matter of, quote, gay Christianity, and boy, can that deceive a lot of people. So um, just where do you want to start there? I know what a question specifically in the chapter I want to get to, but just give us an overview and just your thoughts on why this is necessary to talk about. Well, it's necessary to talk about because, um, you know, when we talk about gender and sexuality, we, we get into... You know, there's this view out there, my body, my choice. I'll do, so I'll do whatever I, I want with my body and you can't tell me what to do about it. Now, now we need to say something about that because, okay, uh, did we need to ask a couple of questions? Did you make yourself? Okay. Create, create yourself? No. Yeah. <laughs> did you make it? Did you make yourself? Did you create yourself in your mother's womb? Like Psalm 139 says, God did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the answer is an overwhelming no. Okay. 
So uh, we believe that God created men and women, um, you know, equal in dignity, value, and worth. Okay? Yeah. Genesis, Genesis 1. Okay? And, and so this is the God who made us in his image and likeness. He's the one who upholds the, all the world by the word of his power. He knows the hairs on our head, the, the length of our days. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He causes all of our cells to work together. Uh, even the breath that I'm having right now is a gift from God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so with even our very breath that God gives us, we utter blasphemy against the creator. When we say, you don't have the right to tell me what to do in this area. So we have to ask the question, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe that it's authoritative? Do you believe that it's binding? Do you believe that it's sufficient? Do you believe that it has something to say? And the, and the Bible is explicitly clear about this. God created marriage for one man and one woman for life under God. And I also want to state something here as we, as we talk about this. You know, the, the Christian is not just against, uh, quotation marks again, gay Christianity. We're against sexual sin of all kinds. Yes, amen. We have to, we have to say that, and we have to yeah. also, we have to spell it out. We're, so we're against cohabitation. We're against pornography. We're against transgenderism. We're against homosexuality. We're, we're against, uh, you know, polygamy and, and all, 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 all of these things. Yeah. And it's, it, it, but at the same time, we're not against the people who hold those views hmm. because we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Okay. We're supposed to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So it matters that we deal then with arguments that people believe, convictions that they believe that oppose the biblical worldview. But we need to state very, very clearly and very, very carefully that we are not against the people of course not that hold those views yes. but we're against the convictions that they hold and the reason is is what people growing up in Seattle what what people hear is that Christians are against the people because they use a sledgehammer in in, a, in an unloving way to club people over the head that hold opposing worldviews and that's why one of the reasons that we're called bible thumping Christians and why people oppose, uh, you know, well, I mean, they oppose the, the biblical worldview on this for, for because, you know, they're dead in their sins. But beyond that, we, we, we also have to be careful, as we were talking earlier, about how we present our arguments, because God cares about that, too. He, he cares about the way in which we use our words. And so um, it, it matters. Yes. Uh, this 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 whole biblical uh you know, morality, sexuality, ethics issue. It matters because this is where uh, the rubber meets the road, if you will. We have we have uh, we have issues on this, not just in the church. And we have for, you know, we, we talk about gay Christianity being an issue, but but it's been an issue for a long time. And people don't even understand that. But it's also become such an issue out in our culture you know, we we just uh, we just had the you know the Roe versus Wade and those things uh, you know uh, decimated. Now it's going to go back to the states to the side and all these things. But uh, what these what these issues reveal is okay. You say that you believe this Bible. You believe this Bible. Everybody wants to come to the Bible. The atheist comes to the Bible on and on and on. Every every single every single person comes to the Bible. The issue is, do you believe the Bible that you're reading? Or are you casting what, what we call a hermeneutic of suspicion over, over the Bible so that you're coming to it so that it doesn't mean what it says? Hmm. So that you can justify doing with it then what you want to do. That, that again, it reveals uh, what you think about the Bible. And you're always going to, when you do that, you're always going to get the wrong answer from the Bible. And the Bible, as I mentioned at the outset of this little segment here, it's explicitly clear that God made man in his image and likeness, and that he created marriage between one man and one woman for life. That means if, if you're a guy or a girl, if you're engaging in pornography, if you're engaging in homosexuality, if you're engaging in transgenderism, or uh, you know the, the quote-unquote other thing that I didn't mention, the gender pronouns or, or <laughs> cohabitating, yeah. or, or, or any, any, number of, any number of combinations, okay? 
that is outside of the God of the Bible. Amen. And you need to repent and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. There's a great quote on page 146 of your book, Dave Jenkins. And again, friends, if you just didn't miss the first part of the podcast, um, we can uh, get it to you by going to standupforthetruth.com later on. Uh, but I encourage you, the book is called The Word Matters. And you quote uh, Dr. Owen Strayan, who says, if the major issue of the 16th century was that of acceptance, how man may be forgiven by God, and the major issue of the 20th century was that of authority, whether the Bible is inerrant, which is still an issue, by the way, then the major issue of our time is that of anthropology, what it means to be human. And so, Dave Jenkins, we're getting down to such a root level of basic truth that has been attacked at its core, and Christians need to know how to respond. And the you write in the chapter, to the degree the church stands on the word, it will continue proclaiming the biblical truth about morality, gender roles, and sexuality from the Word of God. Um, you quote some amazing people throughout the book, Dave, um, and uh, that's what makes makes it for me personally. That's what makes it any book a good read when you when you're looking at people that that's, that provide even more insight to the topic at hand. So I just share a little bit more about getting away from this foundation. First of all, in our just understanding of gender and humanity, let alone sexuality. Yeah, well, just 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 uh, quoting the book. Uh, a little, I'll quote my own book. Quote myself. <laughs> You're allowed, but, but just, <laughs> yeah, just 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 on the paragraph below this, I'll just read this. Okay, the issue before us is framed as it is. Just just to what you just read. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is the next sentence. It's framed as it is, page one forty seven, because the whole issue of marriage and family being under attack is one of authority. And then I say, at the heart of this attack is a question under discussion. Is, is God authoritative over all, or am I free to do whatever I want? And what our culture wants is a God who only comes so far but never demands them to do anything. Mm. But the God of the Bible we know is the opposite of this. He, he makes demands through his own character. He's utterly holy without blemish. And so the God of the Bible not only says that he'll, he'll come near, but he knows the thoughts and intention of our hearts along with the, the number of hairs on our head. And so he knows us so well. He made us. And so to suggest, as people do out, out in our culture and even in the church today, the, the, you know, the church today uh, that it doesn't matter what we think about these issues and we can just think whatever we want, we have to understand that that denies the Bible and that we need to do, as Paul said in uh, is it Second, Second Corinthians 10, uh, that that we need to destroy lofty arguments that raise them against ourselves the knowledge of God. Amen. And so we need to be we need to be and, and to do that we need to deal with actual arguments and actual evidence. Were they people that are leading in the field like I do in chapter nine? I deal with arguments that people have to show them where these things go. So so think of it when you look at yourself in the mirror. Okay, you you want to make yourself you know look presentable and those kind of things. In this chapter, I'm, 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 and in the second half of the book, I'm basically saying, hey, this is the Bible, and this is what the world says. Okay, are you going to see the illogical nature of, of what our culture and what those in the church are saying and how it doesn't cohere with the consistency and the coherency of what the Bible says? And then if, if you're not going to see that, do you, we, we need to ask the question, do you believe that God is truly authoritative or, mm. or do you believe that you're the authority? And that's where Romans 1 really, really addresses us with, with the creator-creature distinction that we've been really talking about throughout this whole show. Mm-hmm. Is that God is the creator. He made us in his image and likeness. And we are the creature. And so we must he, – he, he owns us, by the way. He owns <laughs> every single person on this planet by virtue of creating us. And if you're a Christian, Paul says that you are a slave to Christ. So you're doubly owned by God by virtue of, if you're a Christian, by virtue of him being the creator and him being the Lord. So what right do you have to say to your Lord, the one who made you? No, you can't, you can't do what you want to do. You, you can't explicitly tell me what to do. And this goes back to that whole idea, my truth is your truth and all this <laughs> relativism and blah, 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 and on and on. Yep. You know, it, 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 it undermines... It says, okay, well, you believe in the Bible is sufficient for your 
faith, but what about your practice? And, and it's the practice where we have to, where we see this revealed. Okay, so you say that you believe the Bible. Great. Okay, I, I'm with you on that. But how is it being worked out in your life? Because the Bible tells us very clearly in, in James 1.22, we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word, Philippians 4.9. We're to pra- but Paul tells them after giving that great instruction in, in uh, Philippians 4 to practice these things, put them into practice. Mm-hmm. And Amen. so the Bible is concerned not just that we believe the right things, but those things impact our lives. So sound doctrine does lead to sound living uh, before the face of God. I just want to mention the website before we run out of time. It's servantsofgrace.org. And uh, Dave, I'm sure the book is available in different places, but uh, I'm sure it's available on the website, servantsofgrace.org. Yeah, yeah. And you can get it at G3 Press, uh, g3men.org. And here soon it will be available on Amazon as well. But G3men is the main place where you can get it. So it just got released this week? Yeah, yeah, Monday. Wow. So I'm glad we were able to get this. It's like hot off the presses, literally. And, uh, friends, the book is called The Word Matters, Defending Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age. Um, you've got a Facebook page, Servants of Grace. You can do a search, guys, if you want to find uh, Dave on Facebook, Servants of Grace, and uh, like the page and, and follow him. Um, so we've got just uh, like a minute and a half left, Dave. Um I, I'm going thinking back to Owen Strain's comments that he said the 20th century dealt with this issue of biblical inerrancy, but this is something that is consistent in my view. It's not going to go away because attacks on the Bible won't go away. Just give us uh, your closing thoughts. Yeah, well, like you're touching on, the battle for the Bible is as old as the garden, and it's <laughs> not going to get any. It's not going to get any better because what you what you believe about the Bible reveals what you believe about God about the world, about everything. So the Bible forms its own worldview, and it presents its own way of seeing the world. And so to say that you believe in the Bible for your faith only without it informing your practice is actually to undercut your belief, uh, your professing conviction. And uh, so we need, to be, we need to say that out loud, and we need to be clear about that, and we need to be explicit about what the Bible says. And we need to deal with arguments in love that people, uh, that people are arguing. And we need to show how the theological nature of them with Scripture, with good, sound, uh, biblical exposition, and with what the church has taught. And that's what I'm aiming to do in my book. So I Amen. do hope that you'll pick it up and that you'll find it helpful and that you'll discover what the Bible and what the history of the church has taught. Amen. Brother Dave Jenkins, uh, it's not a long book. Thank you. It's uh, under 200 pages, friends. It's, It's light. Pick it up. The Word Matters. A lot of good information and excellent quotes and references in there as well. Servants of Grace Ministries. Uh, Dave, thank you again for your time, brother. God bless you. God bless you too, brother. Thank you so much. Okay, so tomorrow we've got Chad Davison back with us from Good Fight Ministries. And I think we're going to have some people tune out. We're going to talk about deconstruction and uh, more on what Hollywood is putting out against Christianity. And we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and his spiritual journey, which is a sad one, and you're going to be surprised by some of it. That's tomorrow with Chad Davidson. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.